Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Italy-born, Long Island-based saxophonist and arranger Ada Rovati. We caught up with her to discuss her new 2024 CD, The Hidden World of Pilu. It's her seventh album full of original songs with wide-ranging thematic surprises around every corner. She started playing saxophone in high school after years of classical piano training. After winning a scholarship from the Berklee College of Music in Italy, she divided herself between Boston, where she was a regular working with the big band of guests like Phil Woods and the great Lee Konitz. After spending one year in Paris and touring Europe and Africa, she moved to New York City and has never looked back. We get into all of this and so much more. Enjoy this interview. Good morning. How are you today? Hi, how are you? Let me put the video on. Okay. <laughs> Here we right. are. Ta-da. Hey, how hey. are you? I'm excellent. Nice to meet you. How are you today? Nice to meet you. We're doing good. Thank you. What about yourself? Oh, everything's good. It's... uh. It, the the weather is getting a little dicey here in Kansas City, but it's all good. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Yesterday here was a little snowy, but okay. we didn't left anything very much. I was hoping for a nice storm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna <laughs> we're we're gonna get it here. Are you up in Long Island? Yes, the my, tip of Long Island, East Hampton. Okay, my dad was born in Brooklyn and raised mm -hmm. in Long Island. He was up in Massapequa. Okay, okay, it's like forty minutes from here. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Good deal. So there's a little bit of lineage here. Well, it's great to meet you. I appreciate you taking a minute out today. Thank you for just, you know, giving me, you know, your space and listening to my music, you know. Absolutely. I, I've really enjoyed it. And I want to dig into this release. But before we do, I want to know, how did you make it as a musician through the pandemic, the last three and a half years or so? How did you get through it? And how has it subsequently changed you? Well, um, I have to say that it was, uh, as as much as the rest of the world was falling apart, it was uh, a, a good time for me because uh, I did need uh, some time off and sometimes to kind of look uh, into myself. Uh, uh, it just was a, a good time to do a point of a situation where was my life. Uh, I had a chance uh, to write and explore, you know, musical direction that I wouldn't done if i didn't have the time to just to sit down i decided just to write for strings uh, try to write lyrics and you know in english that is not my main language i had time to spend more time with my husband and uh, and my daughter so it was just uh, challenging because uh, i still have family in italy so for a couple of years i couldn't see uh, my my parents who were old and then ended my dad passed away as soon as i was able to fly there within one month i think he held to be able to see me um, but, um, overall, you know, it just, uh, definitely the business, uh, has been changing so fast in the last uh, 10 years, uh, but the last uh, two, three years totally went upside down. So it just kind of, you have to relearn how to navigate into the business. Um, and this release, uh, uh, you know, the previous release, I'm not a, a I don't, release every year or every few months like other artists do i just uh, always take my time to be sure i can deliver something that is kind of thoughtful and has some kind of meaning uh but um from one recording to the other it seems that the business totally changed i mean a business that i don't recognize so you know all this uh, streaming spotify advertising it's just not really my cup of tea and i'm having a lot of hard time dealing with the social media because i'm not very uh, social, so to speak. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I had to really go against my kind of uh, persona, the fact of posting, hey, I'm doing that. Hey, smile here. Check this one. This is like, I cringe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a I whole... just want to play. I just want to do my music on yeah. stage and perform. And all the other is just a headache for me. Yeah. I guess the one silver lining of all of this is, is that one way or another, you get more reach. There's just more ventricles. But I get what you're mm -hmm. saying. It, it detracts from what you ultimately want to do as a creative being. You know, yes, and also, I mean, the the reality that we I, I use the word fight, but it's not correct because the new generation has absolutely no problem about being uh, uh, twenty four hours a day on uh, uh, on a screen and broadcast themselves from what they having for breakfast as and the bowel movement, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I grew up in an era in in generation and in a kind of. Um, um uh how you say like culture that uh showcase uh, yourself is not a good thing so uh you know i grew up uh, in in italy where like a woman still had to kind of like uh, keep her place in a certain way and it was a trig inside in my brain so you just kind of like if you have a gift you do it but you don't broadcast it because it was be kind of like uh, cocky to do that it just kind yeah. of doesn't bring so to me it's really interesting how i have to deal with my uh gender and my cultural things to kind of uh um i i just it really kind of rubbed me in a wrong way and it's just all up here so interesting <laughs> i understand my dad was full-blooded italian his yeah. ancestors one half came from shaka sicily and the other mm -hmm. came from naples so oh so uh, and I had a pen pal in high school, and I actually got to go to Italy a few times. I was actually in the back of a water taxi on September 11, 2001, when everything unfolded. So, Oh, my God. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, but I, lo I love Italy. I love the way, like, everybody I talk to just glows about going to Italy. So when they go through all of the different places in Europe, they're just like, Italy was the place. And for me, like, Rome... If, yeah. if there is a level of reincarnation that's a part of my lineage, there's something that's tying me to Rome. I felt so good in that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's true. You know, sometimes with traveling, I find myself in places that it feels almost I've been there somehow, even if maybe was is my first time. So I do think there is a kind of a, on a certain level, a, a DNA memory. Yeah. You know, and, it, you know, you just kind of feel it. You just say, I feel at peace here. You know, yeah. those moments, those magic moments. I had I, it in London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that trip that I had to finally take, I wasn't supposed to go into London, but I ended up having to go to get back home because everything kind of after 9-11 yeah. happened, it got yeah. weird. But um, I hope I threw a coin in the Trevi Fountain. I think I did because I'd love to go back. <laughs> so. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But the, the latest album... And hopefully I'm pronouncing this right. The Hidden World of Pilu. Is that how you say it? Correct. Good. Hey, good. Very good. I employed I employed my sketchy Italian in there. So <laughs> I remember the first time I actually went in when I used to be a smoker and I ordered my first pack of cigarettes acting like yeah. I knew what I was saying. And the guy just kind of looked at me like, I know you're American. Good job. Like, I finally did it. <laughs> Get a round of applause. That's right. I loved it. <laughs> you know, and then Dove de Bagno, there was all those little things that I could pull up, but it was very small and scant. Um, <laughs> so talk to me about this album. What, why is it named as such and what artistic forces went into it? 
Well, Pilou is uh, my nickname when I grew up. Uh, my dad gave it to me. And he's also the name of the record label that I, I, I create a few years ago. And it was a story of a cat that he was uh, doing disaster everywhere he was going. So it was kind of me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I had the kind of uh, uh, the lightness of the elephant in a crystal shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, and uh, you know, I kept the nickname of my dad until the day he passed away. He would call me Pilou, um, and uh, if he called me by name Ada, I knew something was wrong. <laughs> So I had to kind of start to get scared. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I thought that the hidden world of Pilou is just like the the side of me that people don't uh, don't usually see, uh, and uh, I kind of translate into the music field because uh, is a uh, has uh, some pop into. I uh, tap into the string writings, the lyrics, uh, and side uh, musically um, that uh, is not the what I so far explored maybe in a certain way a little more accessible but not really because my music always kind of tricky some people at the first you know uh, listen they th think this is kind of like almost easy listening then musician when they try to play was like oh okay that's that's actually tricky you know yeah. and um and the lyrics kind of open a totally different world for me because uh, it gave me an access to um uh pull out some emotion that maybe get lost into, into the writing. The writing keeps, uh, uh, gives you a kind of like, um, um, with no words, it makes you feel feeling some uh, sentiments or some uh, feelings, but the words, it kind of nail it down, you know, and yeah. you keep, can give the direction to the listener to what it's all about. So I thought it was kind of cool. You know, I don't know if I did a good job, but it was kind of cathartic for me, you know, yeah. just let it out. Yeah, no, yeah. I think you did a wonderful job. And I'm curious, what are you hoping the listener gets from this album? Well, I, the, the major uh, for me as a musician would be became the soundtrack for somebody. Because, uh, you know, I can hear a tune and I'm, I can tell you what I was going through when I was listening to that track. And that's the highest reward of a musician, being uh, in somebody's live soundtrack. So if they, somebody can relate uh, listening through a happy or a sad moments and listening a couple of times to the track and got it into their kind of mind. And then, you know, years later, you, it pops out in your, you know, playlist and, and you kind of like, Oh my God, you remember that? That's to me is just magical. It kind of gives me the, you know, the idea that I'm immortal in a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the thing. Whether it's a smell or it's a it's a sound, there's something very penetratable about that when it comes back to you. When you yeah. have that memory, there's nothing like it. It really hits you hard. So, uh, yeah, no, you know, I mean, how many times we just fall into this tears, uh, listening a track or just smelling something? You just, you know, it tricks. Uh, I think some memory in a way that uh, is unique. You know, yeah. You know, I grew up listening to my my dad loved Pavarotti, and mm -hmm. he, he would always he would always listen to him when he was very emotional. Yeah. So I remember when I went to Rome, I stayed right outside of St. Peter's Square. Mm -hmm. And one night I was just tired. It was the end of a long day. And I went in and I saw a Vivaldi concerto mm -hmm. and there was an opera singer and it just 
hit me, it waylaid me. Yeah. And I remember yeah. just like, it wasn't like cry crying, but it was like these tears were coming out because there was some like ancestral connection yeah. to my dad. And then being in the land that all my ancestors came from, it was really wonderful. And it's the power yeah. of music. Yeah. And it's one of those moments you're going to treasure, you know, until you are here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing because that yeah. makes me, you know. Yeah, it was wondrous. I, I still, it's like a, it's like a painting that won't go away. Just the whole setup was. Well, well you know, I mean, being also, you know, it's like a, not only the soundtrack, but there is also the setup like a movie. I mean, Rome is looks yeah. like, oh, you know, it, you had all the you know, perfect setting, you know? Yeah. Yep. And it was a crystal clear night. All the stars were out and all those statues around St. Peter's Square were up there. Yeah. Just there's so much history. And I think and I think about that being in Kansas City when I'm down mm -hmm. on 18th and Vine and that cauldron of what jazz used to be and how it became the art form it is. There's mm -hmm. so many ghosts that are walking around down there mm -hmm. from from history. You know, yeah. it's just thick in the air. Yeah, so that's it, totally <laughs> it's amazing. Really yeah, imagine is. in Rome how many ghosts uh, oh. because the history. I mean, <laughs> well, that's, that's I'm, I'm totally into ghosts, the paranormal, and things like that. And I think that we are just one thin layer among millions. Uh -huh. Yeah. So. Well, and as you very well know, when I finally came back to America after my first time in Italy, I realized how young we are. The yeah. antiquity of a place like Italy is crazy. Like how yeah. long things have been around. I was telling my daughter that, you know, somehow when I go, I was last month in London and uh, when I'm, I call the old country, when I'm yeah. in the old country, that Europe, to me, feel very grounding. I feel, yeah. I feel in home almost. Here, it feels like a, kind of a, you know, uh, an amoeba. I don't feel fully. I'm just kind of a something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's get to that history. Talk to me a little bit about growing up in Italy and how jazz became this pursuit in your life. Well, I started um, music at an early age because my grandmother was a piano player. And so I started kind of playing piano when I was four. And my first uh, reading was actually music and not words. So I learned reading music before reading words. So it became, you know, I never... Uh, doubt about that music was going to be part of my life. I didn't know in which extent, but, um, you know, it's just my first memory was on a piano. And um, I was not, I mean, as a kid, uh, clearly the idea of sitting down and repetitive exercise was not too much thrilling. <laughs> but I did love to listen TV show and then going on the piano and trying to figure out what was the harmonic, the melody. So without knowing, I was doing a training that helped me a lot when I uh, ended at the Berklee College of Music later on. But um I always had the idea of just putting a band together, just kind of like uh, doing my own music. I remember I wrote my first piece when I was like 10 years old, and I still have that paper. My mom has it still. And um, and when I was like a teenager, my brother played some guitar, and he kind of convinced me to kind of like pick up the saxophone. He wanted a horn section. He had a blues band together and kind of convinced me that I guess if I if I pick up a, a, a saxophone or a trumpet or a trombone horn section instruments, I would be very popular with boys. So <laughs> that's the only reason I went into music. <laughs> Highly suggest if you're single, pick up an instrument. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's all, all I've ever heard. So what were early jazz influences? What musicians swayed you? 
Well, you know, I started listening to R&B and, uh, and backwards. So I got, I went into jazz through R&B. I started to kind of listen, you know, the Blues Brothers, uh, Room Full of Blues. Uh, and can, then I got into kind of a, a rock jazz a fusion and then backwards say well these people have whole kind of a language where it comes from so it was backward and uh, I was lucky in my hometown there was a, a guy who studied at Berklee College of Music and he played saxophone so uh, became my my teacher and I kind of knew you know I just kind of wanted to understand better and the only way I think is to 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 understand his music it was coming to where it's from um, and I was able to get a scholarship uh, for Berkeley College of Music at the Umbria Jazz, a big festival we have in Italy of jazz. They they run every summer a couple of weeks uh, uh, Berkeley programs, and I attended and I won a scholarship, and that's where I started my American adventure. Uh, I spent uh, two three years back and forth uh, in Boston. Then I, you know, it was really hard to stay here for visa problem and stuff like that. So I decided. The other place in Europe that would kind of give me a little opening for jazz was Paris. So I decided to move to Paris. I stayed one year. I traveled all over Europe. I went in Africa. Uh, and then I had the opportunity to come back in the United States. I got uh, a work visa with a female big band. And just, you know, little by little, things start to fall into places. And uh, they are still kind of is a giant puzzle my life and uh, every once in a while I had the important piece. So that's how I see it, you know? Yeah. So was there, was it always a dream when you really got into jazz to come to America or was it? Just yeah. Kind of I have to say also that, you know, in Italy, like uh, more probably every country in, in the world, we are kind of like satellite uh, from uh, USA. So I grew up looking at uh, TV shows, American TV show, listening to American music. So we kind of idealize the United States, you know, my, you know, I grew up looking, uh, watching every possible cowboy movie from John Wayne and uh, name it, you know, I knew every line. My dad was a big fan of John Wayne. So we just kind of like thought everything was coming from America was yep. uh, God sent. So I think I had it to do it. Clearly, you know, when you move here and you live here, you see. <laughs> That uh, every country has their own issues. <laughs> yeah, but still, I mean, I'm I'm I became a U.S. citizen. I still have my Italian citizenship, but um, I I owe big time to United States because uh, it just gave me the opportunity to do what I love to do, and uh, that's it. You know. So I remember being in Italy and watching the TV shows, and it just seemed like America always was just way more hardcore. Like I just, it just didn't seem like there was the force that the American shows had. It was interesting. Yeah. It was a totally different world. Um, yeah. But it's just, it's a different world. Um, it is, uh, but you know, I mean, at least when I grew up, uh, uh, the influence of, uh, you know, United States is huge. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, you know, when I was a kid, you know, if. Uh, uh, anything that was from United States was cool. Doesn't matter, you know. The would get a horrible ban from United States, but just because American, they were cool, yeah. you know. Yeah. Right. So there was that kind of things that uh, um, we were um, craving for information from United States, and you know the reality. I mean, we, United States like, produce amazing music yeah. of any kind. You know, and the, the professionalism, that's one thing when I loved about when I moved here, the fact that things, 
If you wanted to make them, you make them and make it happening. Yeah. In Italy, there is so much bureaucracy. There is also merit. It's not really meritocracy. They call it, you know, you need to know the brother, the sister of the brother to get into a position. There is a lot of stuff like that, that here in my, on some level there is, but there is also, I mean, if you don't have the, the tools and the talent, you go up to a certain point, you know? Yeah. So, and I like also the fact that, you know, you wanted to do something, you just do it, you know? On yeah. a time matter in Italy, it's like let's have a cappuccino, let's sit down, <laughs> let's talk with the brother, the sister, of the uncle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I totally uh, get it. What was the first jazz show you saw in America? The first, well, probably, probably at Berkeley. I'm trying to. Well, before coming at Berkeley, uh, we, you know, we were lucky that the. Um, the school where I was uh, uh, studying, they had a lot of guests, American guests come in and uh, do masterclass or, you know, play with a big band. So um, so that's what, you know, I'm trying to think uh, what's the first really. Oh, my God, that's a good maybe, question. Maybe a real memorable one. Well, I remember I saw Yellow Jackets and, and uh, you know, I was, you know, I was blown away about that that style of music because I couldn't understand. It was like, it's just concert, but it sounds something else, you know? And, uh, and I remember, uh, you know, when I won the scholarship at Berkeley, actually, I saw the Brecker brothers who knew that I was ended to marry one of them. <laughs> 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 and I, I still think about it. It was like, you know, and I remember it was, was a huge at Umbria jazz when I won the scholarship, it was a huge, uh, um, you know, park, you know, thousand of people. I was on a side and listening to this band play. Like, you know, it was, I remember Rodney Holmes on drums. It looks like he had six arms and six legs. Uh, his technique is like, it was amazing. And Michael was just playing Yui and everything. And yeah. I thought they were aliens. That yeah. was definitely a memorable, you know, you just, those things that when you walk away, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> I just got hit by a train. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. You know, I'll, I'll never forget Bob Mincer in the very beginning when I started my show. I started in 2011. He was one of my first big interviews, and he was at a hotel in Chicago. And we kept getting disconnected. And I'm like, he's not going to call me back. Like, he called me like three times, and we was like, all uh -huh. right, do we have a connection? He was such a nice guy. It's like, yeah. but that's kind of the way the jazz world is. There's a level of yeah. humility and kindness that's just. Yeah, and Bob Mincer, I always say, is one of my favorite player and arranger and composer. I think he has the full package of everything I, I I really admire. Yeah. And of course, you know, you know, when I arrived here in the United States, I had the chance to see some of the old master from James Moody yeah. uh, and all those, those, you know, those musicians, they had so much stories uh, and, uh, you know, Randy would play often with the Dizzy um, uh, Gillespie alumni band. So there was a lot of, of the original guys. Yeah. So I would like just to sit there and listen to them talking and chatting and, and, you know, the story where, you know, that's insane, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's, and that's the beauty of this world of jazz. There's so many yeah. wonderful stories. I remember once it was, uh, um, um, how was it? Uh, James Moody with, uh, um, um, Jimmy Heath. And, uh, and I have on a little video that I did that they were backstage and they were trading each other like phrases and pattern to practice. And they were like two kids, but they were in their eighties. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought it was so adorable in the same time is inspiring because you can see they were eager to learn. Yeah. And I thought it's like, this is a never ending, you know, learning experience. And I loved it, you know. Yeah.
Yeah, that's the key. That's the key to it. What a great story. So what is it for you that you love the most about being a musician? Obviously, with that story, those two just probably absolutely cherish the fact that they could do it live. But what is that for you that motivates you and gets you out of bed every day? What do you like the best about it? Well, there, you know, the performance live, it just uh, gives you, you know, there are those, you know, those are, there are those kind of magical moments that uh, don't happen always, but they are like maybe those three, four seconds that you forget who you are, where you are, and you feel aligned on a such a higher level with the other musician and in sync with the rest of the world doesn't happen very often but when it happens it's just like so addictive it's like a drug a beautiful drug clear with no side effect and uh, you are in i'm always a struggling person with my uh, depression anxiety and just name it so for me reaching that point when i'm in uh, in sync with the world and with myself are rare but they are so perfectly that um you just want more and that's uh, you just like find find myself and be in peace with myself and connect with everybody else, and uh, that's you know it's just so priceless. You know there is nothing that uh, um, is is hard a, a feeling to explain. But each one of us on some level find those moments they randomly, you know, and I find it more in plain, you know. Yeah. So you kind of found your way to jazz. Ultimately, why do you love jazz? It's a freedom, freedom uh, of expression, freedom of uh, connecting. There is no judgment to me. It's just like it's connecting on a different level with people. You can play jazz with people that don't talk your own language, but on uh, on the bandstand, uh, you do talk the same language. And you can share feelings uh, uh, with people that you just met, and they are like deep feeling, you know? Yeah. It's magical, you know. It, is. it certainly is. So we touched on live shows. If you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see one show with your own eyes, where are you going? Who would you love to see? Ray Charles. Oh, cool. That's a great answer. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to. You know. Yeah. There are certain there are certain musicians. Years ago I had the opportunity to uh, play at uh, the Lincoln at uh, the no Lincoln Center at the Kennedy Center with Aretha, wow. uh, and uh, that was I didn't do anything particular. I was just in a five horn section, but I was called at the last minute because we were already doing there doing a concert. Was just a bunch of uh, other guests, and uh, that's the time that I patted myself on the shoulder and say, you know, Arthur, you messed up a lot in your life, but something good at some point you did it. <laughs> and I remember because of my first gig on saxophone when I was like 17, it was in Italy in a little funky place. And uh, the singer wanted to sing uh, uh, Respect. And it was just like, you know, we were kids. You can imagine how did, did it go. Who knew that later, like years later, I would actually play at the Kennedy Center with yeah. the real uh, queen of of the soul so yeah. yeah that was a moment that i will cherish forever i yeah. remember it was like ada okay yeah <laughs> you did it <laughs> that's great dream realized so ada everyone has a perception of you family friends fans but you mm -hmm. ultimately are in control what is mm -hmm. your perception of you who do you think you are a very confused person 
<laughs> that is trying to find herself. That would be probably. And every day I try to find myself. I I try to be kind. Um, and that's it, you know. I think that's uh, I wanted to be remembered as a kind person, hopefully. So the Hidden World of Pilu is the brand new album. If anyone wants to pick it up, learn about any live shows that are coming up for you yeah. starting this new year. Anything about your world, where can they go? Oh, they can go on, uh, you know, all the social media that I despise so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can go on Facebook, on Instagram, and uh, clearly on my website, uh, that is www.adarobatti, R-O-B, like Victor, A-T-T-I.com. And, uh, and I'm usually, you know, you know, just uh, check it out. Also YouTube, uh, you know, all those things. Uh, you know, these days, if you want to find somebody, you can find it. <laughs> you certainly can. Otta, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. For Thank you up. so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening and tuning into another Neon Jazz interview. Where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players, singers, and minds in Italy, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Otta for her time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. And you. And you. Neon Jazz.